Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of the Direct Podcast. Today, we cover the Marvel's official teaser trailer, the Super Mario Brothers box office, and the Mandalorian chapter 23. Everything you need to know about the universes you love right here on the Direct Podcast. Truth is, I'm a Jedi. I'm vengeance. I could do this all day. Gentlemen, welcome in, welcome on, welcome to another episode of the Direct Podcast, episode 21, the Bob Sanders episode of everything you need to know about the universes you love. I am the bounty hunter, Matt Rimke, joined, as always, by my friend, Colts fan, Floridian, co-host, box office correspondent, Mr. David Thompson. David, episode 21, how we feel? Feeling great, dude. The box office is back. It is thriving. Theatrical is alive. People are seeing the way. Show me the way. Illumination and Universal, show me the way. I'm happy to be here. We have a lot to discuss today. I'm excited for Star Wars to get back into theaters whenever that happens. But today, we're still on the small screen. We're still in streaming. But hey, based on what we saw at uh, Star Wars Celebration, it seems like they're teasing a lot of stuff that we may see eventually on the big screen. So I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, David. The sun is shining. The tank is clean. Oh, my God. The tank is clean. A little Nemo reference for all you kids out there. Uh, it's good, man. Uh, two straight mid-80s day in the Mile High City. Um, wow. It's. I'm not going to lie. A little warm. <laughs> a little warm out here. It's just so sunny out here uh, in spring. So it's it's been great, though. It's been awesome. And uh, yeah, like you said, uh, the universes we love, they all kind of ate over the past week. You know, everybody got some. You know, Star Wars, Marvel, yeah. uh, uh, DC uh, had some big casting news today. Uh, HBO had themselves a day. So something I want to cover off the top as my face begins to bleed from shaving much too quickly, which is an issue. Um, <laughs> uh, off the top, uh, HBO Max, Warner Brothers, they had their big uh, HBO Discovery panel today. And uh, so many announcements, um, among those a name change, uh, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, some other stuff, bunch of news. We're going to cover all of that next week. Um, including a bunch of DC updates and a few Marvel things that we need to talk about. So that will be on next week's episode coming in on Monday. Um, but, David, you mentioned Star Wars Celebration. If you want everything you need to know about Star Wars Celebration, go back to the last episode we had with our Super Mario review, uh, episode 20, and check out all of our thoughts and feelings and updates on the Star Wars Celebration front. Uh, also next week, David... We will have a very special video game draft here on the Direct Podcast. A first, definitely a first for this one. And we're all very excited about that. David and a few friends are going to be drafting the future Nintendo Cinematic Universe. Uh, David, NCU, is that what we're rolling with? Or do you think there's going to be a, f a different fun, like one-up universe or something like that? One-up universe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if this ever happens, you know, I think the draft is going to be very optimistic it's gonna be a <laughs> fantasy land it's gonna be like hey let's just imagine they go this route 
what would it look like? Who would you want on your team? What characters would you want to see? What movies would you want to see? And yeah, I think the Nintendo Cinematic Universe, it may end up just being the Mario Cinematic Universe. You know, we may just get a Luigi's Mansion. We may just get a DK Country. We may just get a Mario 2. That sounds great as well. Um, But I want to see what it would look like if we were to expand to characters like Star Fox and Kirby and Metroid and maybe even Zelda. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I The sky is the limit for Nintendo at the box office. It seems like, you know, video game movies may have found their stride in terms of Super Mario Bros. And I think the future is very bright. And it may not always just be Illumination too. You know, I think not every property is perfect for Illumination, but we'll see. You know, it should be a fun one. It, yeah, it definitely will be. You you left out Pokemon completely from that little rant right there, which is offensive. Pokemon is scary. just a sneaky one. It's, Pokemon is just, I don't know what to make of it. And it, Pokemon has the highest potential. Pokemon yeah. has the same yeah. potential, I would say, of, you know, Mario. It's, yeah, it's there almost could be not a Pokemon cinematic universe fair. completely separate Correct. from all that. Correct. Yeah. Yep, uh, I agree. We're very excited about that. So we'll be we'll be bringing drafts back next week. Um, anybody out there who's listening who has any ideas for drafts or brackets, especially um, to do over the next few weeks, please hit us up on the Twitters at Matt Rimke, R O E M B as in boy K E, and at David Thompson um, over on Twitter. That's David with not one but two A's, twice as nice over there, David. Also, remember everybody uh, something we really have not touched on much uh, recently. We would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Please, please do us a favor and do that in the form of an Apple podcast review. Uh, drop five stars. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Or if you have a question you want us to answer on the show, we have about two, three weeks with no movies coming up. So we have plenty of time to answer questions. We want to hear from you guys, and we would love to hear it in the form of a five-star review. I'll say it right now. Um, if you drop a five-star review between now and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I will draw a name out of a hat, and I will be purchasing somebody's ticket. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just going to do a little giveaway right there, because I realize in the month of May we're getting Guardians and Fast and Furious, and I, I'm just not sure yeah. if my little heart could take it. <laughs> it's, it's I cannot be wait for May, man. I'm so it's excited. It's so good. Me, too, as well, but May will come soon enough for now. Let's talk about everything you need to know about the universes you love. That's slander. It is not. I resent that. Slander is spoken. And print is liable. Let's go. Uh, somebody over at Illumination Universal, they found a, uh, a brick, a yellow brick. And they just started beating the shit out of it. And out came every gold coin that exists. And they just have all the money now. And it's very, very fun. David... You're the box office correspondent. This is your movie. This is your uh, uh, what do they call it when a news? Oh, when a newspaper writer has a. This is your beat. This is your movie. This is your. Oh, this yes. is your baby. Talk to me about the Super Mario Brothers movie at the box office. Yeah, man. I mean, this blew my expectations and pretty much every other industry expert analyst's expectations out of the water. Um, it was pretty cool. Um, that shout out to Sean Robbins over at Box Office Pro. It was kind of funny on Variety Deadline. I think we in uh, THR were reporting, hey, this might make 125, $135 million op- opening for that five day stretch. And it turns out 
he said at the time he he projected he's like that's that's too low you know this is before the movie came out in theaters turns out it was way too low um and this even blew his expectations out of the water i think as well at least over- overshot them so over the five-day period which is a unique release date you know we don't normally see five-day openings but in this case it is which makes the which by the way those that really dive into this stuff on like Twitter and Reddit or whatever makes the whole discussion a little convoluted in terms of like, did it outpace this? Did it outperform that? So five day opening, unbelievable, broke 200 million, made 204.6 million dollars. That equates to a three day domestic opening of 146.4 million, which is fantastic, which is amazing. Just, thank you. Just that alone would have been a major headline globally. After the five day, it was at three hundred seventy five point six million, uh, a very, very high number. And it, at this point, you know, to date, and this is going to keep soaring, soaring, soaring. Um, right now, worldwide, it is at four hundred thirteen million dollars. Um, it'll soon, you know, by the weekend, it will definitely eclipse half a billion. Um, this very soon will be the highest grossing video game movie of all time, which, funny enough, is currently Warcraft. Of course. 2016, which only made like 50 million domestically, but did bonkers overseas because it's a big CGI fest. Love um, it. <laughs> some other shout outs. Detective Pikachu's number two. Mm-hmm. I would say Detective Pikachu really is, in my book, the highest. Yeah. Um, I believe it is one of the highest domestically. I think the highest domestically for a video game movie is actually Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which was a year ago. People love um, it. And by the by the way, the Super Mario Brothers movies. So here's some context for everyone out there. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 made $190 million last year at the box office domestically. $190. That was the record for a video game movie. And Mario in five days made two oh four. So this thing really uh, is shooting for the stars. <laughs> I mean... so speaking of shooting for the stars. <laughs> speaking of shooting for the stars, um, a couple of other things that I wanted to mention was that this is technically the best animated opening of all time worldwide, beating Frozen two. And there's some mm, arguments you could be made in terms of like how much Frozen really did or did not make. Frozen two was a insane box office success. That's why Disney with Bob Iger now back greenlit a frozen three immediately because it's such a big money maker and drives so much merchandise and songs and everything else uh, frozen two ended up making 1.4 billion worldwide so i guess if you want that's the new goal for mario i think it'll definitely pass <laughs> a billion it's got all of april to sit and seep and make as much money as possible it's projected to make 80 to 90 million dollars this weekend which is like a 40 percent drop ish you know so that's a really really strong number if it makes 90 million dollars in weekend two that's the same as top gun maverick Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of what we're talking about here and it had a significantly higher opening than top gun maverick two technically uh this is the largest five-day opening ever which is a pretty niche stat but i think one that's pretty fascinating transformers revenge of the fallen also had a five-day opening was that Wahlberg? beat that out I think so. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a big Transformers guy, I didn't but see I'm pretty sure they all kind of run together. Sure. I'm going to see the one. I'm going to see the new one in June. You know, it's funny when I Show. saw uh, Super Mario, my friend was like, so who's in this one? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. But you know what's cool about that is because they're focusing more on the actual like Transformers. They're sure. focusing actually on the Transformers, which I think's cool. And it's last cool. thing goes without saying, this is the highest opening, best ever opening for an illumination movie 
it also cost them the most to make about a hundred million dollars in budget but money well spent the marketing for this movie was fantastic all the money put into that the visuals are phenomenal in terms of the, the uh animation and this thing's gonna be a major success for the studio and like we just talked about a little bit in terms of next episode's draft it's definitely going to spawn some sequels some spin-offs, and whatever else they want to do absolutely and i think that um you know it's interesting you said you know it's not surprising that it's the best opening for Illumination ever. I I find that very surprising. Um, I I'm not mm. I'm not a, a what is it called Despicable Me guy. I was a little old. I missed that a little bit, right? But I remember yeah. you and I having a conversation about that Minions movie just crushing at the box office because of the the culture herd mentality of it, right? So I I right. figured those Minion movies just Minions or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, the gentle Minions. Oh, COVID! What a time it brought it brought so much social <laughs> media into our lives. Um, I think that this yeah. is such an awesome list of records that you've assembled, and I know like there is some discrepancy. Like it had a five day opening, so how you know where's the asterisks and everything? Regardless of what asterisks we want to put around, if it's not the greatest animated opening of all time, it's one of. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's mm-hmm. a top three, top five, whatever you want to call it. It's a major success in a uh, historic kind of way. And what's really exciting for me about the these numbers. If you didn't have the Mario nostalgia or you weren't a kid that this movie was targeting, objectively, this is an okay movie, right? You know, like like there there isn't there isn't anything like deep quality about this movie's plot writing, all those different things. And it still made all this money. We can only go up yeah. from here. I'm not sure it can get like worse as far as plot. Not to say that it you know that the the plot didn't take away from the movie, but I don't think that it can get like sillier or stupider. So I think it can only get better. Imagine if these movies get just like a little bit better as we go along. Yeah. And there's plenty of room to grow in the narrative department in these movies. As long as they keep up, you know, dance with what brung you as far as characters they're introducing, Easter eggs they're putting out, moves and uh, frames from games that you're putting on screen. I think they're going to have to lean on that as we start checking off characters and Easter eggs. Um, so much room for growth in this movie alone and for it to make this much money on its debut, I think we're in a really good spot. And I think that the idea of a, of an end game esque super smash situation, even if the numbers tail off from here or even plateau and the next three or four Nintendo movies don't reach this height, the super smash promise will. And, and that's the kind right. of like cheap thrills that they can bank on. We're gonna get a lot of money out of this Nintendo thing. I'm really excited to see it. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's. I, I before we move on, yeah. it's redefining. I think what a video game movie can be sure. and, and how much money they can make. I mean, there was Scott Mendelson who now writes for the Rap. He put <coughs> up an article today. I think it's something along the lines of video games can be the next comic book movies, which mm-hmm. is a pretty clickbaity headline i'm not gonna lie you know it's like oh okay let's see what this means i get the idea of that though where iconic characters like this mario is perfectly suited in my opinion to what they did this cross collab with illumination and nintendo they released it at the perfect time it's a perfect length It, it hits so many demographics and there's a treasure trove of stories to tell because of the IP and because of the connections these people have with the IP similar to comic book movies, I would say. And I mean, to comic books, right? It's all about those characters being pulled from those comic books 
and they don't have to be the same stories. It's very similar in that way. Or like, there's these games. You don't have to say you don't have to tell that same game. You just make an adaptation. So they've been trying to make video game movies work for a long time. And I think in the last couple of years, between Sonic, Uncharted, The Last of Us on TV is the I would say highest rated of of the bunch and that's definitely the works resistance the of that group for sure <laughs> and that's very story driven you know sure. um and but also from a very very popular game and now we have mario kind of almost stamping what's going to be the next 10 years of video game adaptations i think it's definitely going to fuel some people to make more you know get creative do different things and here we are and i think for nintendo it's amazing because this is one big advertisement for their games you know, I'm sure their sales are up. I'm sure their Switch sales are up. I'm sure their games are up. I know personally, I've been playing my Switch a lot more just because I'm in the spirit. I'm in the mode and it's so much fun. So anyway, I'm very curious to see if it will become eventually at all a slight competition between video game movies. If they really start generating some good ones and some big hits, because there needs to be a lot to compete with the likes of quote unquote Marvel, you right. know, and that's a big ask. Obviously, you need to ha- generate a whole thing because Marvel's untouchable in terms of the amount of content they release and the amount of big blockbusters they they release just like the one we're about to talk about just like the one we're about to talk about ladies and gentlemen the next era of the mcu is guardians but beyond that we have the marvels the sequel to captain marvel um a rare billion dollar sequel uh in the mcu that's not an avengers movie you know what i mean we we have only got in one that's not an Avengers movie, and that'd be Black Panther Wakanda Forever, if I'm not mistaken. Am I wrong there? Is that right? That's about right. It sounds right. I don't know. I think so. None of the Spider Men made a billion before No Way Home, right? Um uh, Far From Home did. Far from Home did make a billion. Okay. So so I'm wrong there. Yep. Far from Home did. Regardless, the first te- It was the first billion dollar Spider Man movie. Love it. A lot of people say it's like a you know, mid ass Spider Man movie. I would disagree um another conversation for another time but ladies and gentlemen we got the first teaser trailer and really our first look at the marvels captain marvel sequel that is starring brie larson as captain marvel carol carol danvers tiana paris as monica rambo aka aka photon from wandavision and aman viani as miss marvel from miss marvel kamala khan david your overall thoughts and reactions to this teaser trailer I thought this looked awesome. I thought this looked great. Now, do I have some questions about whether this comes before or after in the timeline of Secret Invasion? Yes, I do, because that's how this works now, and that's how Marvel has trained me <laughs> to think, right? When I've got a I've got a teaser trailer for Secret Invasion, we've got Nick Fury doing certain stuff, looking a certain way, and then we've got a trailer for a different movie coming out at months later, looking completely different. It's like, all right, wh- where are we in the timeline? But uh, hopefully it all makes sense. I'm sure it will. I think this looks awesome. Look, Miss Marvel is one of my I w- my second favorite, maybe my first favorite on a good day, Disney Plus Marvel show. I oh, loved Marvel. that series. <laughs> yeah. Miss Marvel. Yep. Captain Marvel. Um, Amon Vellani is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I, she is my favorite. Might be controversial. She is my favorite Phase 4 and Beyond casting so okay. far in the MCU. She is my favorite. Um, and there's been a lot of great castings, I would say, so far. Um, some underrated for sure absolutely you know an underrated one richard madden 
I liked him as Icarus. I'm going to go out there and say that. Okay. Um, but anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> throw that one out there. Um, I think <laughs> she is what gets me most excited about this movie. Yeah. Look, Monica Rambeau is going to be cool. I'm hoping, and I've said this to you before, Matt, on the podcast, I'm hoping this is a, I don't know, something a way to rejuvenate maybe interest in Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Carol Danvers, you know, where I feel like Brie Larson in this role kind of been dragged through the mud she's not the most loved you know people kind of make fun of her keep people kind of hate on her and i'm hoping this movie will re-spark something in people that gets them excited about this character the idea of them jumping between their powers and there's some sort of connection between them so cool you know and we <laughs> we just got a small taste of it mm-hmm. in this teaser trailer when you marvel knows how to disney in general just knows how to make trailers you know we're talking For about sure. star wars trailers marvel trailers they just know how to do it, man. Like this was a perfectly paced teaser trailer that got us excited and is going to be perfect to play all summer long until November, you know, and they mm-hmm. will be obviously in a future trailer or two, but for all the, you know, starting with say Mario leading into uh, definitely guardians fast, you know, fa- what are we on fast 10 <laughs> into the spider verse. This trailer is going to be playing before that and it's going to get audiences excited, you know, because mm-hmm. it looks like an awesome Marvel time. And I think the connection between their powers, as I said, is such a smart, cool, unique gimmick, but also fun idea for this movie. And I'm excited to see how it truly plays out within the plot, because right now it looks cool, but I don't know if it's necessarily good yet, but mm-hmm. we won't know until the movie comes out. Absolutely. And I think that um, there's so much reason for excitement. I agree that the Captain Marvel brand has been kind of unfairly um, put into a negative area of the MCU. And I I truly think this all dates back to the release right ahead of Infinity War and, you know, just what this character was at that time. And then what she ended up doing in Endgame, uh, you know, to correct myself, she it's it's a lot like the Jeremy Renner situation in Avengers where everybody's like, yeah, but you know, he was barely in the movie. He was written to like, not be a part of the team for so much of the movie. Captain Marvel was written to not be able to really like humanize herself for so much of Captain Marvel. And then, and then bang, she's at end game. Right? So this trailer I think is giving me hope that they're going to just give Brie Larson a little more room to be her funny, quirky, you know, Jennifer Lawrence esque, self and i think that i think you know relatable i'm (laughs) look at me i like pizza look how weird i am um right it's an interesting interesting human digger for lawrence um but no i think there's plenty of excitement for this movie to do exactly what you just said to ramp up the captain marvel brand and david i have a little experiment for you here it is blind resume time everything i am about to say is true about both Captain Marvel and another iconic MCU character. Here we go. Everything I'm about to say, Captain Marvel and another MCU character. The origin movie is a period piece set in the 20th century. A major female co-star goes on to found a major MCU government organization. The main MacGuffin of the origin movie, the Tesseract. The origin movie post credit scene then thrusts that character into present day. The origin scene introduces the character right before a major Avengers movie within the same year. The sequel for that character receives a new director. The sequel movie 
heavily features Nick Fury. The sequel adds a fan favorite female co-star from a different corner of the MCU. The sequel also brings back a family friend that now has a very uh, contentious relationship with the character. All of that is true about both Captain Marvel and Captain America. I'm not sure if it means anything, but Captain Marvel heading into the Marvels is on the exact same path as Captain America was heading into the Winter Soldier. I think all the pieces are in place for this to be a huge jump for this brand of the MCU, the same way Winter Soldier was back in Phase 2. Is going to be as good as Winter Soldier. That's like a top six bar for me. You know, like that's hard to do. But all the pieces are in place to do exactly what you just said and ramp up the Captain Marvel brand. Yeah, not to counter, but it does this mean that Marvel's getting repetitive. You know, like no. does it, is this a positive thing? What? You know, are they, are they just rinse, repeat, <laughs> rinse, repeat? Hey, now let's do something else, right? Next time we're going to have a guy that builds a suit in a cave. Well, or, you know what I mean? Like, we had a girl that built repeating? a suit in a garage in the last Black Panther movie. So, real. That's it's tough. Real. Oh, shit. You know? She's got Iron Man no, we'll suit. Uh, that's a good, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very hilarious point to something I've been thinking about for, you know, two whole days. Thanks, David. But, um, what's, no what's interesting is, though, <laughs> a lot of the things I just said aren't really like plot pieces like the tesseract no i know feels more like a coincidence right the female co-star going on to found an mcu organization picky carter with shield uh maria rambo with sword again feels like more of a coincidence everything else is just a little more exterior which makes me think that they are treating this the same way they treated captain america which obviously uh went really well for everybody involved and i do think to that point in my rankings, Captain Marvel and the first Avenger are nearby. Right. I think I have Captain Marvel lower, but neither of them are my favorite MCU movies. And I forget about that with first Avenger. Right. You know, I haven't wa- rewatched that movie in a while, probably since before Endgame. But I don't love that one. I didn't love Captain Marvel. But if she in this new kind of team up movie, which I love the branding, by the way, the Marvel. Yes. I think this title treatment is awesome. So the way cool. it works and. Ah, it's it's great marketing in my opinion and, and it works genuinely really well i wonder if this movie and maybe a future sequel could help you know mm-hmm. with that uh, i her only being in like a second of endgame i don't think helped and just kind of was like this big superman kind of coming out of nowhere sure. unlike say captain america in the original avengers movie which really i think hoisted him up right you know really like got him to a great place leading into winter soldier We'll see, you know, it, we will see with the Marvels, but it definitely has that opportunity just like Captain America did. And I think that, you know, the characters, I think were in the same spot where like Steve Rogers wasn't as charismatic or funny as a Tony Stark or a Thor was in their phase one movies. So they brought in a Nick Fury to go with Steve Rogers. They brought in Natasha Romanoff to go with Steve Rogers. They're doing the same thing here with Captain Marvel. Uh, you know, Nick Fury is yeah. in the last one, but he's in it in the eye patch way that we love now. And bringing in someone like Amon Viani and Kamala Khan to lighten up this movie, I think is going to allow Brie Larson to do what she does best and act with people. Look at all of her best movies. It's her responding to somebody or, you know, her, her reactions to things. 
um, I think is where she shines, especially comedically, as someone who loves 21 Jump Street with all my heart and soul. She's very funny in that movie, so she's got the chops. Right. And, you know, she's also going to be in Fast 10. What a year for Brie Larson. Something we're going to talk about here in a second. But real quick, David, because, um, I don't know, me and you might throw somebody else some stuff. Something I might ask you to do. I don't know. But uh, uh, some plot points <laughs> from this teaser I want to talk about. You talked about the cosmic swap plot device thing. The whole idea, when ev- any of these three use their powers, they physically switch places with each other. And it looks to be a very, com- not even comedic, but like, you know, uh, whoa, what's happening, mysterious kind of thing at the beginning of the movie. But we got like three seconds of an action scene where that's used as a device. This is going to yeah. be sick, man. This is going to be yeah. sick, nasty. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, me too. I think it, I like the idea where just like we saw at the end of Miss Marvel and what was teased in the trailer, like it just starts happening randomly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're just going about their business. and It just starts happening. And I like how it seems like in the movie, the natural progression is like, oh, this is oh, a pain dear. in the ass. Mm-hmm. Let's all come together. Mm-hmm. We out of force we have to all be in the same room right so we don't traverse mm-hmm. too far away from each other and it's not this crazy like teleportation so we have to all be together and then the whole we're not a team well we're gonna be a team because we have to be a team and <laughs> i love that man <laughs> it's it's good writing it's fun it's simple it's very space adventure mm-hmm. you know and that's what this movie needs to be yeah and and if you want to call it another plot device two of the marvels captain and photon um, butting heads for whatever their whatever happened in their past, which I cannot wait to find out. Um, butting heads all the time, and Kamala being there just blindly wanting everybody to get along, just because she's having fun. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the character dynamics, I think, are already in a good spot to build on that throughout this movie. I don't think is going to be very difficult to do, um, which right. saves room for different stuff, um, including the Saber Space Station. We don't have to spend too much time on this, but no sword. David, this is Saber now, not Sword. So we have Shield, Sword, and Saber. Is Malice next? Maybe a Flail? Flail? What, what could Flail stand for? Federal Law Agency Intelligence Lasagna. Lasagna. Lasagna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah any awesome. thoughts on why it's not <laughs> the Sword Space Station here? I don't know, man. I don't get it. I Maybe it's because they're rebranding, or it could be a whole different organization. Look, there's some stuff since phase three and really like phase two, because you got to think back, like speaking of Winter Soldier, that was such a critical film in terms of the MCU, like the fact that Hydra (laughs) has been everywhere, you know, like that was unbelievable. I don't think we'll ever be able to, yeah, they they infested S.H.I.E.L.D. crazy. I mean, it's an unbelievable moment. Like, that's why that movie's so great. One of the reasons why it's so great. But it's going to be hard for them to ever do something like that again. Now, we brought in S.W.O.R.D. in WandaVision. I didn't love S.W.O.R.D. Even just in terms of, like, them being the next S.H.I.E.L.D. seemed weird. And what the hell was that guy's name? Tyler I, I hated him. Yeah, I didn't like the lead guy. But I liked Monica Rambeau, you know? I liked how she we got her out of S.W.O.R.D. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, like the scene where they had Vision and then Wanda goes in. But Saber <laughs> being this, whatever whatever organization it is, I, I think in the movie, my guess is that Saber is the new sh- sword, mm-hmm. you know, especially because Saber isn't inherently from the comics. Right. And because of what happens in WandaVision, they change it to Saber, which is cool. I don't know. Initially, I thought of Sabre from uh, 
the, the office, office. Mm-hmm. the triangle <laughs> fanny packs that are now very in style by the way yeah think yeah, about that just, just thought about that. <laughs> but uh i think it's cool having a you know i what would you even call it a celestial or in in space and aerospace mm-hmm. kind of organization you know wherever wherever nick fury's been hanging out wherever he was at the end of far from home that were hopefully i hope my hope is that we because see what that's the thing because secret invasion is a sequel to captain marvel and the marvels is a sequel to captain marvel i hope there are a lot of connections between the two you know yeah and and there's also i think i think what you were getting at there is i hope we cut to right after that post credit scene for far from home the very last shot of the infinity saga is nick fury in whatever this station is sick um you got to remember far from home scrolls like like also a scroll related project. So I think yeah. the Far From Home post credit scene, Captain Marvel, Secret Invasion, and the Marvels will have a, a I, I truly believe it's gonna have a good through line. And I'm excited to see what that is. And the biggest question, skipping around just a little bit here, the biggest question mm-hmm. is what are we gonna learn about Nick Fury between now and the Marvels that changes even just this trailer or what we think is going on now opposed to what we think is going on over there it it to you know to do the argument of like what the hell is going on it kind of takes nick fury dying off the table you know what i mean like you know are are we going to be worried about fury knowing he's in the next movie the scroll thing alleviates that a little bit but how are they going to play that game you know and it's it's interesting it's definitely interesting but I also think this could be our very first opportunity to finally have a show bleed right into the movies the way that Star Wars tried to do with Mando 1 and Rise of Skywalker with the whole force healing thing being the most climactic moment of the most important movie of the most important franchise in cinema history. Introduced on Disney Plus the week before. That's great. Um I digress, but I, th- I think that potential is cool. I-, I want you to talk to me about your timeline concerns, though, because I'm not sure I quite get it. Well, I think my concern is just it's simple. It's the fact that this movie was initially supposed to come out before Secret Invasion. Sure. It's had some delays. So is Secret Invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, the MCU, especially in phase four, now going into phase five, it- it's nonlinear storytelling for the most part. There There are some things that go in order. But it does feel like we're kind of here, there. I would like to think that, look, in Secret Invasion, the Fury we get in the Secret Invasion trailer to the Fury in this seemed different to me. And the issue I had, and this was my gut initial reaction, was the Fury in the Marvels seems like the Fury we know. The Fury in the Secret Invasion trailer seems like a down and out Fury. That's you know, he's got the long yeah, yeah. beard, the eye patch is gone. He's kind of like, and it almost feels to me like it could be the end of his story. Like he is the leading, he's going to be a supporting character in the Marvels. He is a, the lead role in Secret Invasion. And I guess it just, in my mind, the character I saw in Captain Marvel or in the Marvels trailer feels like that would come before right. this kind of down and out fury which i guess isn't the case you know i we'll, we'll see and i think it would be confusing personally i mean I, I would understand but i think it'd be confusing generally if secret invasion takes place after the marvels right and we'll know i i think we'll we'll definitely know once secret invasion ends because we'll see where fury ends up right because is it just that the 
Based on this, it seems like just at the end of Secret Invasion, Fury's back, goatee, eye patch on, and he's back doing his mm-hmm. thing. Maybe the scrolls are involved, but it does, I guess, give a little less weight to what's going to be happening in Secret Invasion, even though I am very excited for that series, you know, nonetheless. Absolutely. I think, you know, in an ideal world, this movie comes out first and then Secret Invasion, right? But um, for whatever reason, that's not the case. I, I guess. Th- well, it's it's just I, I I agree with everything you said. Like in the opening of Secret Invasion, it looks like Fury's coming back from space. So due to this mm-hmm. logic, by the end of Secret Invasion, we have to at least believe he's on his way back to space. You know, they don't have to like show him going up to the ship and be like, "Watch the Marvels in theaters in November." Um, <laughs> but <laughs> they might who knows that what that's what post credit scenes kinda are <laughs> like a little bit, but. Post-credit scenes, obviously a great device that they can use here. Um, I think that Marvel, as much as, yes, nonlinear as it can be on paper, never in the movies has it really affected the plot or characters of a movie. The only, the biggest example is Val, um, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character from Falcon Winter Soldier and Black Widow. But that that was vague enough to work. There was a bunch of reshoots for the Marvels like a month ago. And I think that could be a big part of it was the Secret Invasion release. You know, hey, we have to just recontextualize Fury a little bit. And I think you also got to remember, like this this trailer, we don't we we have no context for what Fury's doing in space. He also no. comes back to Earth. He's talking with Monica. We, you know, they can recut a lot of this. We have what is it? six months seven months before this comes out you know what i mean like there's a Mm -hmm. lot of time it's gonna make me want to watch less the marvel's trailers before secret invasion you know what i mean like i I don't think i really hope we don't get another one until after secret invasion that maybe changes this up a little bit you know what i'm saying which could be very cool yeah i think secret invasion will it it will give us the answers even if we like it or not Mm -hmm. one way or another absolutely and the very last thing i want to say really quickly um and i want to hear if you have anything to say after seeing this trailer, I think the main characters look great. Oh, man, Brie Larson looks fantastic in this fucking movie, dude. Um, I think the main characters look great. Their chemistry looks really fun. The plot device being kind of what seems to be what is driving this movie is really fun. Um, I like that Like this has a connection to Shang-Chi, Miss Marvel's, WandaVision, Secret Invasion, uh, so many other galactic things, and I'm not worried about its MCU threads. I'm worried about the switching bodies thing more than anything. I like that it's got a contained vibe to it. The biggest, yeah. not red flag, but the thing I'm most worried about after this teaser is the villain. She doesn't talk. She looks she looks to be another Ronin from Guardians and also Captain Marvel at the end. Um, and this is the kind of thing that can kind of tank a superhero movie's ceiling is how interesting is the villain how much do we care when we cut away from the marvels and we're focused on uh, zaw ashton as dar ben engaged to loki by the way tom hiddleston Hiddleston. i think a voice cameo probably in the cards here maybe all i know is i was like why do i recognize this woman as the villain marvels and that was why not because of her previous work but because I've seen her on the red war- red carpet with Tom Hiddleston. I believe she's a stage actor. So I... I, I Is that right? I think so. I think I heard that somewhere. Oh, okay. I don't remember where I heard that, but I think she's a stage actor getting on screen, which is cool. And, you know, the, she looks dope. That fight scene like we talked about earlier looks sick. I'm interested in the weapons that she's using. She... Ha- I think she has to have at least a average personality to carry this movie to where I want it to go. 
because sh this movie just feels like the kind of movie that a bad villain can drag down pretty easily. Yeah, I 100% I agree. I'm definitely worried about the villain. Seems very generic, seems very basic, seems very like cookie cutter. However, I do think the fact that she's wearing a bangle um, in that Sick. fight scene gives me hope. Like there, there is going to be some connective tissue here. It, there has to be. But how well the actress and the characters fleshed out will be a big deciding factor. Now, I could totally see where writing up this movie, she would be on the back burner compared to Monica and Kamala. As she and should. Carol. As she should. However... The best MCU projects, for the most part, have great villains, mm -hmm. and that is what kind of brings them up to that that echelon, yeah. right? That top tier. Yep. And that that is a concern. And I think the Marvel has literally so it would be so hard in my mind for it to be worse than the original, in my opinion, because it's got Kamala Khan in it, and I love Miss Marvel, and they have so much going for it with this new concept and just how it looks based on the teaser trailer. But yes, I think that it's just another accuser isn't enough. It can't just be another like I am a little disappointed. I will say on this topic, it's just another kind of Cree battle, you know, and it's it's a different context than after Captain Marvel um, and even from what we've seen in Guardians. But I wish they would expand a little bit. I wouldn't have minded something a little more abstract as a villain, like an ego, not necessarily ego, but you know what I mean? Something a little bit different. That's fine. Uh, it is another accuser and I'm here for it. But I definitely think from now until November I'll be surprised if we hop in this podcast for the review and our biggest takeaway is how great the villain was. I think I think it's <laughs> going to be hard for us to avoid the bad popcorn being like the generic villain. Sure. And I hope I'm wrong. Uh huh. She looks strong and she looks angry. I've seen that. She looks great in the action scene. I mean, she, and she looks good. Her hair looks fucking dope, dude. I love the, the half blonde, half brown she has. Stop. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll get, we will get more into that as the, like I said, seven months. We got a long time before this comes out. I hope we don't get another trailer mm -hmm. before Secret Invasion. I hope the second trailer is focused on the villain. You know what I mean? Because I am sold on these okay. three already. Sold. Right. You know what I mean? Like that was their mission. Stop selling. Point. Stop selling. Speaking of stop selling, which isn't a good transition, but it's a transition. It, it, they don't all have to be hits. You know what I mean? I just got to get it at bad on the board. You know, I'm just here trying to make a podcast happen, David. We are moving on to the Jordan episode <laughs> of The Mandalorian. Boom. Here we go. It is here. It is time for The Mandalorian chapter 23. The Spies. The Spies. The name of this one, David. Keep that in mind as we walk through The Mandalorian Chapter 23. Season season 3, Episode 7. The penultimate. One episode left next week. Directed by Rick Fumiyawa, who was going to direct Blade. Something to think about. And written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni, the all-star of the week for Star Wars universe, David Thompson. I have not heard a single yep. thought you have on this episode. And I can't wait to hear them right here, right now. I like this episode. I didn't love this episode. Um, I, I do think that this episode has some faults for sure um, that are pretty obvious. I do think that it's heading in a better direction than I would have said last week. I just think this season, which is kind of where we're getting to in terms of these reviews, because it's getting to the end, it's hard to not talk about. It's hard to talk about just one episode because it's all kind of run together and yet it kind of, it's all within context. I do think the season has had its lapses. This episode's not one of them. 
But I do think there are some fundamental issues with kind of their storytelling. But there are some awesome moments in this episode. Like there is some stuff that is just phenomenal that that I absolutely loved and was glued to my screen. Just not all the time. There's just certain stuff and it's going to be somewhat repetitive from what we've talked about last week and even some some before. Just issues I have with some of the creative choices they're making with some characters. Uh, But in general, there was some payoff in this. And we get back to having a villain, you know, and having kind of more of a this episode gives us more of a vision, I think, for what the future is. And it was very, very specific when this episode came out as compared to Star Wars Celebration, I think. Yeah. Um, a hundred thousand percent because of certain things that happen. We'll talk about in the spoiler section, but it's cool. It's awesome. Um, I, I'm not. I love The Mandalorian as a show, but I'm also not jumping up and down about this episode, and I'm very curious if the next episode heading into the finale is going to feel like a finale or going to feel like a setup for Ahsoka and a setup for Skeleton Crew and a setup for the movie that's going to come out in five years by Dave Filoni. And that's, I think, where we're kind of at with the series. Heard. You know what I mean? Heard. I, I, I understand that vibe going out. I have the exact same concern for next week. I really do. For this episode, though, I think for the first time this season, we're on the opposite sides of the table. Loved this mm. one. Great time with this. I got some pieces of bad popcorn. Had to think about it. Had to really dive right. in here and get some stuff that I thought could be bad popcorn. I'm in such a weird headspace with this show um, over the past month um, because it. you know what this season of The Mandalorian is for me? And it's one of my favorite comparisons I make in fandom is TASM 2. TASM 2, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, is my go-to example for something that it's so good that the fact that it isn't great makes it worse. You know what I mean? TASM 2, there's so much good in it, but the things that aren't good are so bad that it makes the good things worse because we were this close to being great. I know it's a confusing yep. slew of words, but that's kind of what this Mando season is for me. I look back on episodes that I think fell short as far as plot development, as far as character development, simply where they were in the season schedule. Um, I look at all the episodes and events, and I just wish we could reorganize some things looking back. And I'm so upset that those lows exist because when Mandalorian hits its highs, it, it can go, man. This thing is... It's just premier popcorn Star Wars television. Not the same way Andor was really great, but they're both really great in completely different ways. The Mandalorian merging a little bit into that Andor territory, I think, with this episode. And I love everything that we got as far as exactly what you just said. It's almost as if last week they heard everybody talk about where's the focus of this show? What are you guys getting at? What's the point of all this if there's not going to be a point to any of this? And it's almost like everybody was sitting in a room like, okay, next week they're going to be fine. And I'm so confident they had Star Wars Celebration marked on their calendars between last week and this week because the announcements at Star Wars Celebration, the context of that makes this episode better. And I, yeah. I I think that was a decision that they made. They they released a midseason trailer last week. They released a midseason poster last week. They announced the future of the Mandoverse last week after that episode. This episode had all the juice leading up, and I think it paid off on that juice. Maybe not so much the juice from the rest of season three. 
Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I do think one thing with Mandalorian right now, for me, that's kind of turning me off, and it has to do with those announcements. It feels like we're running on a treadmill, treading water, mm-hmm. staying afloat. You know, hey, what's some sort of relevant story that is fun to watch right now? You know, let's watch Grogu do this and that, and also just keep the story alive and keep characters alive until we go try to make the make a billion dollars at the box office that's kind of where i'm at with it you know i don't think we're gonna see Pedro pascal's face there's reports coming out that he wasn't on set all that much because of the last the last of us hmm. and it's kind of noticeable i'm not gonna lie it's gotten to pre pretty noticeable in my opinion and it is what it is we will get to that very shortly as we dive into <laughs> spoilers now you want to get nuts come on let's get nuts Thank you, Mr. Michael Keaton, who will be appearing in The Flash this summer at your local theater. Um, as Bruce, like a, That was like a great... That could have been a trailer for like the new Mac streaming series. Sure, sure. If, it, if it was like in 2007, coming soon to a streaming series near you, it's The Last of Us Part 2. But this time, it's Din Djarin in place of Joel. I don't know. Only on Max. Only on Max. It's not TV. It's Max. Stupid fucking day. Um, let's get, <laughs> let's get into the good, delicious, buttery popcorn from the Mandalorian chapter twenty three. I got a bunch of big picture stuff I want to talk about, but I want to zoom in just a tad here and talk about some really yeah. cool scenes that we got in this one. The first of which. The return of Moff Gideon. I mean, you know, this, Mm -hmm. like you said, a little bit of rinse repeat from the last two seasons. Six episodes of story. Oh, my God, it's Moff Gideon. Let's do two episodes of that. And that is very rinse repeat. I'm not going to argue that there. Still cool every time he shows up, though. Not going to lie. Still pretty hype every time I see him. Um, The coolest thing, the coolest thing about this scene is this underground council of imperial sympathizers that despite the fall of the empire are doing everything they can underground in secret with the resources they have left to build the empire back. And I just love this meeting for 800 different reasons. There's so many reasons. The fact that it's a bunch of holograms in a circle, man, that feels like a Jedi council. The fact that the guy said, hey, we need to make sure they think we're a bunch of disconnected warlords or else they're going to start. Man, that feels like Luthan and Andor. That feels like the birth of the rebellion that we just watched last fall. The fact that there's infighting between them. OG trilogy, Imperial officer speak. They, they, They crushed that. It felt like a Tarkin conversation with somebody who Vader ends up choking out. And it just like the, the chemistry between these guys. Awesome. The Thrawn thing. And and uh, wow, I just Moff Gideon being like, well, where the hell is he? I think maybe we need to. You're dead. <laughs> you know, like Moff just signed his death warrant right there. All those different little points of interest throughout this uh, scene, I thought were just so well done. And it got me so excited for the future in just a matter of minutes. And I think that fit well in this episode and also did the Iron Man 2 thing where I can't wait to see how that pays off. Yeah, man. I I agree that this opening it's the opening scene, right? Sick. Yeah, it's actually kind of a longer scene just just getting Moff Gideon back, which you kind of knew was coming after 2 weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And that's what's frustrating with this show. You know, it's like last week we get this whole side story 
we barely get it is there's some stuff that pays off in the show and some stuff that just doesn't and i think that's frustrating for people you know Mm -hmm. um like the whole dr pershing episode that's coming to fruition you know that that's kind of making some sense we're getting we're getting back to that but last week with doc brown and jack black and lizzo i'm not sure you know we got to a place we needed to in terms of the death watch but that's pretty much it do you want to get back to that is that something you want to get back to no I wish it didn't happen at all. Sure. I, I agree. I completely agree. I, I wish that episode didn't yeah. happen. But but at least we're not getting more of it. You know, there are some shows that just keep bringing back those guys. Yeah, but that's not an, that's I, not an excuse to introduce something and go on a stupid journey just to, like, say, hey, we're not going to go back again. That's so last I hope week, you brother. didn't hey, like this. It's April 12th, 2023. We're living in the now, David. We're in good popcorn. All right. All right? That, Empire Council. That, they're acting like rebels. That's dope. That's dope. Listen, and I agree. And this is what Mar- and, well, hey, this is what Disney and Star Wars and Lucasfilm get for releasing week by week. You <laughs> yeah. know, like if this was if this was binge, no, I would have long forgotten about. about it. You're exactly. 100% right. You're 100. Hey, remember right. that one part during hour four when Doc Brown showed up and Lizzo was there throwing like Grogu snacks? What the hell was that? It's the best non-binging argument I've heard so far. <laughs> is that we would not even <laughs> think about last week. Wouldn't even be part of the it's show. True. That's hilarious. Something um, about it, man. No, I, like I still, this being I still... the Easter egg, like world building scene right here up front, I think it sets the tone for Moff Gideon and the rest of the episode. But it also gave us all the candy we like, especially considering Star Wars Celebration and everything we know is coming down the line. Yeah, and I think Thrawn being mentioned was awesome. You know, straight out of his announcement, his first look at mm-hmm. Celebration, the Ahsoka trailer, and the fact that. That movie, whatever it's going to be called, Ahsoka Rebels, The Mandalorian, coming to a theater near you, is going to probably be Thrawn at the helm of whatever villainy is there. Him, Moff Gideon, maybe they have some sort of like confrontation based on just this opening, you know, which yeah. is pretty cool. It's but so uh, sick. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was a good opening for sure. Absolutely. Now we move on to your piece of good popcorn back to the Mando side of things. Yeah. And this was kind of my way of not writing down. I enjoy uh, Bo-Katan's story Three with also writing down <laughs> I've been enjoying Bo-Katan's story because I have been I Let's think go. she's been doing I think she's been well written probably the best written character this season so far in my opinion in terms of just like her journey specifically um, but I love this line it's later in the episode it's before the ambush happens when Din Djarin, which good Din Djarin moment you mm-hmm. know but also kind of is a moment of Din Djarin is the second in command in this entire season in this show right now. You know, that's kind of what stuck out to me, which is take it for what it is, positive or negative. I think for the story, it's helping Bo-Katan out, but not really giving us much to chew on in terms of Din as a character. But he's basically just saying, hey, I'm not relying on you. I'm not following you because of X, Y and Z, you know, not because of who you are and where you came from. I'm following you because of honor and loyalty and character and that's awesome that is true to din's character and and like din jaren right as a person as a mandalorian he's always since day one had these certain morals about him some more in the gray some more pure and clear you know in terms of like the way (laughs) and Mm -hmm. being a part of a covert right and all this stuff and i think it's it was a cool moment just to see katie sackoff's face of when he said that, you know, because her helmet's off and she's just like, wow, you know, that you can tell that kind of meant a lot to her in that moment. So I enjoyed this little moment. It's it's almost a top play in a way, but I think it really, to me, solidified 
where we are in this show in terms of who's the leader or not. And then also leads us into what's what what's coming next. Not only in this episode, but then what probably is going to be happening in the finale. I, and I think that this was a great moment for Bo-Katan for all the reasons you just said. I think she needed to hear that, which I thought was cool. You know, knowing her, mm-hmm. you know, somebody just watched Clone Wars, but like knowing her from Clone Wars, like her just getting a little affirmation in her role, knowing what she was thrown into. I think that's a really awesome thing. And what her family's gone through as well. Like how many how many people have told somebody from Clan Crees that, you know, they're doing a good job and in all the Sabine and Bo-Katan moments we've gotten. Not very many. And I think that was cool. And I think coming from Din. Yes, so foundational to his character and a great example of that. But also look at where he was in season one, a bounty hunter that is hyper religious and, you know, is only here for a job, doesn't want to hear, you know, what you have for him to do. You know, I you know, this is the very first episode. I have to learn how to ride this thing. Why can't I just fly across like just about getting the job done and following the rules? Right. He has evolved so much into as a trusting human or whatever, as a trusting person, somebody who is willing to, you know, not care so much about his creed or the way and more about his friend Bo-Katan. And I think that it, it, that was a really cool moment for Mando to kind of weirdly uh, justify what we've been talking about all season. Listen, I've been just following you for you. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to be yeah. some political piece, you know, and I'm not trying to get in your way. You know, like you want this sword, take the sword. I could give a shit. I want you as my leader. That's what I want. And I think like weirdly that contextualizes our biggest problem with this show a little bit. I'm not saying it excuses it, but it does make this moment hit for me a little harder, which I appreciate, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, I really agree. And uh, my next piece of good popcorn goes all the way to the end of the episode. So I start with the beginning. I go all the way to the end. There's plenty in the middle. Go watch this episode. I don't know who's out there that hasn't watched it yet. But if you're listening to this and you haven't, go watch it. We can't cover everything. Too much happens. Warlock from Top Gun shows up in this show. What? That was awesome. I very much appreciated that. Um, The twist at the end, man, it got me in such a good way. And it was so perfect. Yeah. And and again, it just kind of made the last four or five episodes make sense as to why the armor was so willing to let Bo-Katan go to Mandalore. Why, why uh, you know, Moff Gideon has been such a, you know, background mention throughout this thing. It's because as they run through Mandalore and they're running away from, you know, people coming at them. They think they're Mandalorians. They're not. They're stormtroopers in Beskar armor. And they're running through Mandalore, and out of nowhere, there's just one hallway that looks kind of like the Death Star. Then there's another hallway that looks a little bit like the Death Star. Then they open the doors, and there's an entire Imperial base functioning, making ships, making this armor with the forge all these things, and this is where Moff Gideon's been the whole time. And I just love that twist. I love how it made me care about, you know, why we haven't been back to Mandalore yet. I like that we haven't been back to Mandalore yet now because this was such a cool reveal. And it just it contextualized everything perfectly. The way they presented it with the little hints of the hallways was just... I, I, I sat up, I was like, wait a minute. No fucking holy shit. They did the thing. And yeah. just everything about the twist I thought was very cool. And the theories I have about it, I think, are even more entertaining. It's it's what makes me want next week so quickly. David, what did you think about the twist here? 
Yeah, no, I thought it was awesome. I, I like the idea of thinking back to episode two when they're in at Mandalore. It's like, man, was he there the whole time? Watching. Like, was he was, was he just somewhere the whole time? And I loved the ambush in general. Like, just these these guys coming out of nowhere, and they have this like interesting looking armor, kind of looks like like clone troopers in a way, but they're like all kind of white. It's such a yeah. such a great in between from the original trilogy to sequel trilogy. How the armor is starting to evolve a little bit. Very good touch. Right. Yeah. Really enjoyed it, and I think just just Moff Gideon being there and seeing like just seeing the ships. You know, mm-hmm. we just see these these like imperial looking ships. Like, oh no, there and and the doors back to the age old issue in Star Wars. Some sort of yep. Some sort of door. Some sort of like. I don't know, high up space where you can fall off of something. Just classic Star Wars. And uh, yeah, Moff Gideon coming in there at the end, too. And his what, what, what were they called? Dark Troopers? I think that's I think that's maybe I the term. I think the Dark Troopers they... were what Luke took down in last last season's finale, right? Weren't those the Dark Troopers? Were those droids? Yeah, but I thought they were called Dark Troopers. Whatever. I don't we'll know. Look it up. It's the same thing. We'll look it up. Well, no, I think. Surely we'll it... remember to, you know, look that up before next week, right? Before looking it up, I think just off memory, I think Moff Gideon says in this episode something about the new and improved, right. like, Dark Trooper armor armor or whatever being made out of best guard. His suit looked cool, too, by the way. When he comes up and lands, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, it's kind of scary. I love the constant string of, like, the reason that the troopers, clone, storm, or otherwise, look the helmets look the way they look is because they're all based off a of Mandalorian, so they all have kind of a Mandalorian look to them. And I just love kind of, yeah. that, that visual conflict. Um, your thoughts, before we get to your next piece of good popcorn, where are you at with the armor? I don't know if I'm going to reveal a theory to you that maybe you haven't thought of, or maybe you've seen it. No idea? Okay. I don't know. So um, let me well, walk you through yeah. my suspicions being so validated in this episode. And I love right. it because the armor this entire time has been so casually accepting of everything. Bo-Katan, come on in, man. You're good. Hey, take that helmet off. Get comfortable. You're going to be all right. All this stuff, right? And I've been waiting for her to turn. In this episode, I think we saw it because as we go through Mandalore, we meet Warlock. Very conveniently, the armor is like, hey, guys. I'm going to take these guys back to the ship. They're a little banged up. They're a little hungry. Let me be the hero and take them back to the ship. You guys go ahead, right? And then they go, and then the ambush happens, and they get trapped. And all these stormtroopers have Mandalorian-esque armor and Beskar, who forges the suits and the weapons for the Mandalorians, the armor. All these different troopers, including Moff Gideon, have little horns, on their helmets. David. Who has horns on their helmets? Who has horns on the helmets? True. It's the armor. And she I th- does. And I think that the this is the armor's heel turn reveal subtextually. And next week we're going to find out the whys of it all. Which I don't know how they're going to make sense. But I can't wait to find out. Um, I just think that the twist. For me at least. Revealing the armor being so suspicious. Was a very cool way to do it without doing it. I, I appreciated that yeah. as well. And I'm with you, dude. I, I definitely think that'll probably get revealed next week. Mm-hmm. It, it would be my guess. She got, it's lining up at this point. She got all the Mandalorians in one place just so they could be taken out. Why? Like, because yeah. like if the argument is like, well, why would she 
go with them? Or why would she let them go to Mandalore if she knows that it's corrupt? It's so they can get them all in one spot, take them all out at the same time. Um, and the curiosity now is then who is she really? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Does she have a little lightsaber that spins maybe? That could be kind of cool. Um, a new age inquisitor. Maybe. Um, David, your next piece of good popcorn is with our precious little guy. Yeah, so, you know, we get this whole IG-12 bit, which I thought, eh, it definitely is flirting with bad popcorn for me. I'm like, this is this is quite the uh, quite the bit we got going on here with Grogu in this, like, IG-11 machine, you know? <laughs> Visually, it's quite a bit. <laughs> Visually, it's, yeah, it's it, ridiculous. <laughs> just in general, it's just like, and then we got him walking in the streets of Navarro and Din being like, no, no, and yeah. yes, yes, yes. Are those Grogu's first words, kind of? Anyway, um, <laughs> I do. I so I I preface all of that because when we get this moment where we have like the different types of Mandalorians starting to fight for the first time, where it's like I forget who it was. I think it was like Bo Katan or whoever. Like ah, oh, it's only a matter of time, you know. Mm-hmm. So of course, it's gonna happen. And then you have Grogu in between them. He goes no, 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 no on his little button thing, you know. And mm-hmm. I thought that was cute. I thought that was a cute payoff to a scene earlier where I'm like, Ugh, mm-hmm. I'm not really loving this. They're just doing the Grogu thing now. Um, but I thought that was a pretty good payoff, and it, it, it's kind of a top play, I guess. But it really, to me, it was. Another one of those fundamental moments where I'm like, all right, that was, that was good storytelling. That was a good fun moment. Right. I was so shocked how much this grew on me throughout the episode. I was blown away by how much I ended up laughing and loving the IG-12 thing. Because when they first introduced it and the guy walked in, I was like, okay. Uh-oh. But then I realized they kind of did exactly what I've been hoping they would do this entire time. They gave Grogu a weapon a way for him to contribute that is made for him. You know, this isn't right. him in a big human-sized walker, like controlling the or doesn't have the big breastplate or the wrist thing. This is for him and it it and it accounts for his size, which I appreciated after I thought about it. The no yes bit right away, just like you, not a fan. And then I realized when Mando started saying, Hey, I don't want him doing this, no. 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 For him to have so much of an opinion just makes you think back to every little every other time he's been kind of a little shit. And now he gets to verbalize that a little bit. I love that. I love that Grogu is listening and he understands what's going on and he can now contribute into what he does and who he gets left with and, you know, all that different stuff. It, it I, I liked it more and more as it went along. When he started running, yeah. it got a little sketchy for me in that bad popcorn kind of way. And then I started thinking about C-3PO and he runs exactly like that. And he's in some of my favorite movies, you know? Um, it's true. It grew on me. And I think next week, when he starts fucking spinning and doing the IG-11 thing and starts popping people and just, you know, doing the bounty hunter robot, I think it's going to be That pretty, would be pretty dope. It's going to be pretty fucking hype. When he, like, uses it as the weapon that we've seen it be used as in season one, I think it's going to be a pretty special moment for our little guy. Yeah, I'm down for that. Absolutely. And uh, the last thing, last bit of good popcorn I talked about earlier, the universe building. We talk all the time how the Clone Wars is trying to apologize for the prequels and what we don't like about those. This is the official episode that announces that the Mandalorian and everything going forward is the purpose of setting up the sequels and contextualizing that stuff better. 
and and trying to fix what we thought of those. And they did that with Snoke. They did that with General Hux being a part of the Empire Council. Do you know the tidbit of that actor and stuff? Hmm. So the the there's a Hux in the council here. He's a general. Right. Yeah. His son yeah. is Commodore Hux, who grows to be the Hux we know from the sequel trilogy. The actor who plays the Hux that we saw in this episode is that guy's brother. Oh, really? So that's a very nice. fun thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, that is cool. I appreciated that in a very cool way. Um, uh, the Maluron fruit, for anybody who's watched Rebels, I'm two seasons in. That being what Grogu picks up at the stand, the very big thing throughout Rebels. Um, the Thrawn tease, the Snoke stuff, the 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 fact that Moff Gideon... Snoke stuff. Snoke Ooh. stuff? I mean, clones, bro, clones. The fact that Moff Gideon's overall plan here, like, you know, General Thrawn, heir to the Empire, he's going for the political route, right? It looks like Moff Gideon's plan is to build a clone, Jedi, Mandalorian hybrid. And I love the idea of that being how we get to the Snoke project or maybe even the Palpatine project down the line. You know what I mean? Like trying to create this super soldier within the Star Wars universe by combining the three factions that we know the most, you know, clones, clone troopers, Jedi with the force and the Mandalorians with, you know, all of their special, you know, uh, not abilities, but whatever. That was a cool line. It just it gave him kind of a motivation that we had never heard out loud before. We can piece together maybe. And Moff Gideon is always very vague. He looks at a screen. He walks away. We read what's on the screen. We're like, oh, here's what he's probably thinking. He said it out loud. And I appreciate that. It's it's blatant. It's not subtle, but I'm a fan. Do you think that any time in these um what would you call this new republic uh era i guess of star wars you think in any of these shows or the movie that's gonna come out do we get a emperor palpatine scene of some kind do we get like or do we get like a final order scene isn't that what they call it in the rise of skywalker that like last kind of underground you know imperial you know fleet right that that he lets out in the rise of skywalker i i wonder how closely they actually attack that part of the story because we're, we're kind of tiptoeing the line it feels like a little bit like maybe these guys are all clueless but if you're talking about the snoke project that's also the emperor part it's also the palpatine project you know it's kind of one in the same yeah. from my understanding so i wonder how closely and how directly they will ever touch that clone wars the last few episodes took place in in between scenes of episode three from the prequels that close. I think we're going right. to get that close. Like I, mm. I think they're, I think Dave Filoni is going to do what he feels is his mission on earth to do. God bless you. And you cowboy didn't wear a cowboy hat this weekend. Did you see that? Serious. He's a, he's a movie director now. Well, yeah, he's got money. He's, that's what it is. He's got, he's got, he's got a New York haircut. It's what it is. Oh, I see. I see. But um, no, I, I think his mission is to take the things in Star Wars that are loose and tighten them up. And I think he's using this era to do that with everything in the sequels. I think we're going to get great way of putting it. I, yeah, I think I think we are going to get why the Palpatine project exists. And the with the idea being we watched that. Sh- I, I don't know. I have no idea. But I think that's the going to be something they tackle. The clone thing has only been scratched in the show. Hella teased, stupid teased. Right. But it's only been scratched. They're going to get to it eventually. I think that is going to be the goal of that plot. 
Whereas the goal of the Thrawn stuff, I think, is going to be more how the First Order came to be and different things like that. There's going to be a couple balls in the air. Filoni is going to tackle them as far as he's allowed to, I think. And I, I trust him. He's in the circle of trust. We're huge fans. We yep. move on to Bad Popcorn as this review continues. Um, I'm just going to start off with a small one. I wish we had a conversation between a traditional Mandalorian and a Night Owl a Death Watch Mandalorian. I, th- I wish we had a conversation between two of them, probably Paz Vizsla and Axe Wolf. Um, such a funny Star Wars name. Um, yeah. I, I wish somebody had a like, what am I, like an ideology conversation. Like, here's why we don't do what you do. Here's why we don't do what you do. Instead of just cool. a fight. I know we've gotten that with Bo-Katan and Mando in the past. I just wish somebody from each of those clans who hasn't had journeys with the other and started to learn that, hey, maybe we're not so bad. I wish somebody else had that conversation. That's it. And and it's similar to when they were all sitting around the campfire. Uh, Bo-Katan didn't talk to them about why she takes off her helmet, or they didn't talk to her about why they don't take off her helmet. I just wish at some point we got that conversation. I feel like that's past, but yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And going into my piece of bad popcorn here, the pacing to me is often that it's probably the biggest thing that turned me off in terms of just I, I'm more turned off from this episode. Not turned off is a bad word. I like this episode, but there's something about the season overall that's kind of getting a little wishy washy to me, I guess is the best way of putting it, because the pacing specifically has just been so weird this whole season. And this episode, I think, is a really clear indicator of that. It's a kind of a long episode for Mandalorian standards. It Super starts with long. this very it starts with this very long opening with Moff Gideon and that council of kind of imperial people. Um, you know, and it's it's cool. Uh I like that scene. But then once the and we get the Mandalorian and the spies uh title card, from then until the twist it's too long in my opinion and like the the plot to me the pacing is kind of like dragging a bit uh we we, i feel like we're wasting time with the whole ig12 thing i feel like we're kind of wasting we're not you said it earlier you you made a point where there's so much that happens this episode we're not gonna talk about all of it we're talking about some of it and what have we really talked about we've talked about the beginning and the end yeah think about it because I think in the middle, not that much is happening. You can really summarize this episode quickly in terms of maybe it's the armorer's mm-hmm. master plan unfolding. That could be the simplest way of putting it if that comes true, right? Mm-hmm. Getting these Mandalorians together. We have that super long scene of, I'll go. I'll go with you. Kind of sucks. I'm there. Sure. You know, there's just, there's just stuff like that where I feel like we're all kind of waiting around for the end. And the end's good. I love the end. The beginning was cool. I think the end was even better. But I I just feel like we're all kind of knowing that's coming because we know there has to be some sort of finale here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think the season in some ways has kind of lost itself in terms of like, it's going one direction, it's going the next. And I'm not, when I'm watching, I'm not fully engrossed like I used to be, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, and that's just maybe a me thing. I'm not like super locked into what's happening because I feel like I know where we're heading. And it, it, it kind of went where I expected. The twist of being on Mandalore didn't really see that coming, but it all kind of makes sense now. And you knew at the very end of the day, Moff Gideon was going to rear his ugly head in this episode. Right. And that's kind of what we got, you know, and we got the whole Din Djarin captured. Uh oh, our heroes in peril. 
come back next week to see how it all wraps up, you know, and then that's that's how it went. But I just think the pacing in general, the season's been off. Um, I think the episode that actually had the most unique pacing that I thought was the best was the Coruscant episode um, where we start, we go do that whole story, we come back and we get that sandwich we talked about. I I understand what you're saying, and I was actually going to bring up that episode specifically because it does the same thing, right? Big piece of a story at the beginning, a middle that is this one definitely more connected, but a middle that is a little more not connected to what we just saw. And then a piece at the end that follows back on the second story where I want to disagree with you is that middle part. You know, we get the Bo-Katan stuff, which we talked about. That's just that that was just really good Star Wars writing. But that's not like a super long scene. The the volunteer scene, I agree, dragged. But like there's so much good action in the middle that that's why I'm okay with it. You know, like like they gave me they gave me the candy in the middle with the fun Mandalorian battles that we've gotten all season. I think they continued to up that with the uh, ambush in this and then space pirate ship with like actual like like sails and that shit. was cool that was cool um and you know there's visually a, it was cool there's a kaiju but. fight in the middle of it i i just think that the popcorn was in the middle bookended by two major story points but where i'll i'm gonna push back on you a little bit here is for the first time this season that so much has done the sandwich like a b a we've seen that so much this season i feel like for the first time the two different storylines came together at the end. Whereas that episode you just explained, it was a Mando story, Coruscant story, back to the Mando story. This one was the Gideon story, Mando story. They come together. And yeah. I, I just, I, I felt refreshed by that. And I even thought out loud, like, Oh, they finally brought the middle and the end of an episode together, as opposed to the sandwich that we've been getting, which interesting at first, I think they ran it into the ground. It was a bit rote for me. The sandwich storytelling. Um, I'm <laughs> yes, always going to remember that word. Um, but um, in the Gideon thing, I agree. We knew he had to show up at the end. The upping of it, not just him being there. Motherfucker's been there for a long time. That's what I thought was really cool. And uh, yeah. But I, I totally understand what you're saying. It's just it, the, it worked better for me because I've been waiting for them to merge an A and a B plot all season. I think they did it well. Um, mm-hmm. and that is our last piece of bad popcorn. Let's go to top plays real quick. Um, I'm going to speed through them. Uh, jump in when you would like David, the hologram switch, the, uh, we get the reveal of Moff getting in a hologram like star Wars does so often with their villains. I like how it didn't stop there. We went back the other way. We saw old girl in the hologram and now we're with Moff getting, I like that transition. Something I feel like we don't get a lot of in star Wars. Yeah. Really cool. Carl Weathers with a Hall of Fame Mando in this one when he comes to give him the booze. Mando, like it it's it was pitch per it was the meme. You know, he really he this might be the last time we ever see him. I think he really brought it in for that one, man. I saw you written down Carl Carl Weathers. I'm like, what's he yeah. gonna go for with this one? I'm like, ah, man, he, he's got a catchphrase and he crushes it's the same way he says stallion in Rocky, dude. It's just perfect it is pitch perfect i love that man so goddamn much what episode did he direct wasn't it the one that i really like yeah or no no yeah yeah, yeah. it was the one where mando shot the no 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 i don't I'll remember i don't remember okay. research department um the fucking man- find out the mandalorian tattoo on the star cruiser so sick so cool what an awesome oh, that's way. not imperial yeah look at that emblem 
so <laughs> somebody spent so much fucking time doing that. You know what I mean? Um, I, what a cool way to do the icon. What's up? Oh, Carl Weathers directed episode four, which was when we get the Order sixty six flashback. Come a good episode. Now. Come on now. The whole and that's the one where they're on the random moon they mentioned in this. You know, the Mando kind yep. of hideout, the, the kid thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. he goes with the dragon. That's the one Carl Weathers directed. Yeah. Uh, the. Uh... Oh God! Who's the character everybody hates in Star Wars? The Jar Jar Binks episode. Jar Jar Binks. The Jar Jar Binks. Correct. Um, the retcon. The uh, the tattoo. The, the uh, off screen off screen retcon. Like that was a retcon Correct. for us. You know what I mean? The meta retcon. <laughs> the meta retcon. <laughs> Such a good fucking way to say that. Um, <laughs> what a cool way to do the iconic uh, Star Cruiser shot where it comes over the top of the camera but this time it's got a tattoo on it so fucking cool i cannot wait for Iconic. sabine um felt like something out of a animated show yeah exactly exactly oh man dude spoilers for rebels dude, when they paint that fucking tie cruiser man it's the coolest fucking thing so oh, love that show i'm gonna binge that show the moment i get off this podcast um <laughs> we talked about ig12 david the praetorian guards fuck, fuck me yeah. up dude awesome what a cool sequel nod man dope sequel oh this was my this was my top play when they pop in and they are bad ass Mm -hmm. they apps my my other top play was just uh sacrificing himself taking out the 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 gatling gun Mm -hmm. doing the best he can it finally overheats and just taking out dudes until the guards come in, until the knights come in, these guys dressed head to toe in red. They got their lightsaber type things. Incredible. I, love I thought this was like, this is a Star Wars moment. This is awesome. And I loved how it ended with that. Mm-hmm. You know, we get these stupid kind of, um, I would say fodder once again, like Star Wars fodder. These new Mandalorian armored, basically like clone troopers, essentially. They have best they could have been now? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it felt it felt like they were clones honestly sure, sure um and we fought we get these you know we get these guards it's a dope action sequence he's exhausted he puts up a shield very captain america has mm-hmm. his blade very bucky. and it just <laughs> very bucky and it doesn't it doesn't work out for him you know pork. because they <laughs> yeah and it's brutal yeah, it's dude. brutal and i thought that was awesome Savage. i thought that was great how they handled that i'm so glad it was that brutal and that scary because it and and you felt for even like for Paz, like he did his best, but he was just ousted there. Like right. he, that's when you know they brought him back up, and it's over for this guy. Dope ass hero's death. Awesome Clone Wars reference for Bo Katan to watch another Vizsla go down like that. You know, like in honor of Mandalore. You know, like what an yeah. awesome. Uh, this is the way. Last thing both of them said. So sick. Um, Shout out Vizsla, by the way. Good character this season, I would say. John Favreau, dude. He knows what he's doing. He's in the circle of trust. And back to that circle of trust. I know, like, we're... Elf. Huh? Killed himself. (laughs) Elf. Oh, Elf. Elf. Absolutely. Also, Favreau, baby. Also, Couples Retreat. Very good rom-com. I... I don't know if it's just Filoni. I'm sure it's other people making these decisions. But, um... And I feel like George Lucas has always been really good at this. The decisions they make with the uh, Praetorian guards to make them feel like early versions of themselves. They didn't have the long cape. They didn't have the uh, the whip version of the weapon they use. Like they, they yeah. made the right choices weapon to make great. them feel like first editions of what we end up seeing 
in the sequels. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I I really like those little touches there. And yeah, dude, it it's not because uh, the gun ran out of ammo. It's not because the gun broke. He would not stop firing, so the gun just melted in his hands. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> it just overheated. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. I wouldn't be surprised if that was Carl Weathers under there. So, David, with all that being said, and everything going on, you know, in this country, political and otherwise, what do you see happening next week? Do you have like a couple like succinct predictions for things you think are gonna go down um, next week? We got Dindajarin held captive. Shout out the moment where Grogu like no. We're going to cry next week. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's what I learned in this episode. We're going to cry next week. Um, we got Dindajar in captive. We have the armor seemingly in cahoots with the Empire and also everything they're setting up for the rest of the Mandoverse run over the next few years. What do you think we see next week? Okay. I think we get no Pedro Pascal face. I think we get Boba Fett. Tomorrow Morrison's going to be in this episode. Love it. I think we get an armor reveal. Ooh. Not just that she's not not just that the armor is up to no good, but we get a we get a helmet off reveal. Mm-hmm. I think that's about it. Okay. I, oh, last one. I think we get a post credit of Thrawn. Yes, yes. Um, I think that would be my four. That last one, I'm gonna get on there with you. I'm gonna jump on that with you. So we'll tag team that. Uh, definitely getting a Thrawn post credit scene. If I could take it one level further, I think it's gonna be Thrawn killing Moff Gideon. Because he heard, oh my God. because he heard that Moff Gideon was talking shit. That would be a really great move. Sets just the, set stakes the stakes for Thrones. Now I yeah. say, I say that I am two. I got two episodes left of season two of Rebels. Fuck, this show is good. I haven't met Thrawn yet. I don't know what type of villain he really oh, is. Okay. I don't want anybody to tell me. Thomas Carter Rochester. I know you're listening, motherfucker. He told me when he was coming. I was so upset. Um, <laughs> But he's been great. He's been great during this journey. I will say that much. We're gonna have Thomas oh, yeah. on uh, probably next week to talk about Thrawn. Encyclopedia. Yeah. yeah. But um, uh, I think a Thrawn, a, a great stake setter for Thrawn in that post credit. So I'll jump on that with you. I think we do see Din Djarin's face, and I think they've been saving huh. it because you think about every other time we've seen his face. You know what I mean? When IG Eleven is dying and he just wants to look at somebody, you know what a cool moment. Yeah. Um, when he has to take it off with Bill Burr in that in, Imperial like base or whatever, um, but he does it because he has to do it for the mission. Very sad, like traumatic moment. And then when Grogu's leaving for the same reason with IG-11, it's been under his accord and it's been hyper emotional every time. There's one emotion we haven't scratched the surface with with Din Djarin and Pedro Pascal, and that's like fear or anger. Fear. And I think it's going to be them taking his helmet off and torturing this motherfucker the same way they were torturing Grogu in season two. I think we're about to see Pedro Pascal eat in a Game of Thrones style way. Not so much that just Joel face that he has for the last three years. Yeah, I hope you're right, Mm because I could totally see now that he's captive. I thought in this episode, see, the reason I said my prediction is because I thought he was going to take out. They're going to take off his helmet in this episode. I I was on the edge of my seat. Me too. And I'm like. Oh, they didn't do it. So maybe they're not going to do it at all. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at. So I'm going to stick to mine, but I'm hope I'm rooting for yours, sure. I would say. Sure. I, 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 I see an opening scene. You know what I mean? We just cut to Pedro Pascal. Right. Imagine how shocked you'd be if the opening scene of The Mandalorian was Pedro Pascal's face. That'd be so weird. 
It'd be so freaking <laughs> jarring, weird, man. Um, yeah. Ooh, I just got chills a little bit thinking about that. Um, and I don't have another prediction, but I want to know: Do you think we know who the armor is? I think some people might that know, sure. like how, comics how or how books or something. Yeah, exactly. Is it is it yeah. a book character? Is it a comic character? Is it? Spain? We won't know who it is. Yeah, maybe. I I don't think I'll know who it is. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if they'll really go with someone we know. Even even anyone. I think they might go with it's a new character and, and maybe it's an actress we know. Exactly. That but maybe it's not question. a character we know. So that was my next question. I feel like it needs to be some sort of pop. I feel like a, it needs to have yeah, some person. zing on it. Ooh. Jennifer Lawrence. Amelia Clark. What's she Amelia been up to? Clark. What has that character been up to since oh Solo? Oh my gosh. If that happens, there's going to be a thousand messages in Slack Wednesday morning. Yeah, that's how this whole podcast got started, David. Because we're talking about the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. What if it's Amelia Clark? Oh my god, it's Darth Maul, dude. I mean, <laughs> what if Darth we get Darth Maul. Maul at the end of this episode? Dude? It's not what Darth, if Maul. We get Darth Maul. It's not what Darth if? Maul. What if? I know, no. I know it's not Darth Maul, but if it's Amelia Clark, who's right around the corner, uh, Han Solo, dude, like the big three villains of the Mandoverse, Moff Gideon, Thrawn, and Darth Maul, <laughs> fuck me up, dude. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that has been the Direct Podcast episode twenty-one. Uh, David, you got your Mario draft next week, yes. right? We talked about how successful it is at the box office this week. Okay. I have very much enjoyed you closing out these shows with a Wahoo. All right. So I want to, I just want to say, I want you to do it this week. I want you to do it next week because two weeks in a row, talk about Mario again. I'm not sure the next time we're going to talk about Mario. But if you wanted wanted to close every episode of this show out with a Wahoo, I would not hate it. Your mic cut out. I swear to God. No way. You 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 did it. I think it was too high pitch and your mic did not pick it up. Oh no. What a failed Ready first everyone? Start. Yeah, yeah. Three, two, one. Woohoo! Woohoo! Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the direct podcast. We'll see you next time. Peaches, 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 peaches.